0: Morning. My name is Sam. I'm one of the elders here. I get the privilege of preaching while our senior pastor Dan is down at the CMA co- counselor conference. I asked James, a- council, not conference. We have district conferences. He's at the national council right now. Um, so I get the chance to share with you all this morning. And then also, Esther, I wrote it in huge letters, mom's prayer night, Thursday, Thursday evening at seven. Moms, make sure you're here for that. It'll be a great time when Um, You can just pray together as mothers, which is is really a blessing and a privilege. Um, If you've been here for some of my past sermons, this morning might be a little bit different. I I don't have a lot of humorous anecdotes or or illustrations that will draw a chuckle. Um, This is probably the most serious you guys will will ever see me. Uh, This is a sermon that has actually been a couple years in the making. This is, this is something that has burdened my heart now um, for a while. And so you guys are gonna to get to see a very personal and intimate look inside of my mind and my heart this morning. And my prayer is in this whole process that you wouldn't see me. Um, I really I don't want people to come away thinking, wow, Sam did a good job. I want people to come away from this thinking, man, God is glorious. And so I wanna talk about some tough stuff this morning. Um, we are, we're going to hit on some, some hard passages, some passages that make me squirm in my seat a little bit. I promise you we're going to finish with a smile, that's my hope anyway, uh, but I need a couple things from you guys, okay? One, please understand, I'm not, I'm not calling out any specifics, okay? I, I've grown up in the church, I've shared with you my dad was a pastor, I, I have been in and around churches, church ministries, parachurch ministries my entire life. And so this is, these are just some observations that I've, I've seen over the years. This is some stuff that I've encountered in my own life. This is some stuff I've encountered in conversations with people, okay? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not calling out specifics. This is, just, this is what burdens me. This is what weighs on my heart. You can ask my wife. We just drove out to my parents last week, and it was a seven-hour car trip both ways. She would ask me in the car, what are you thinking about when it was quiet? It was this. If she asks me at home and it's quiet, what are you thinking about? This is what I'm thinking about. These are the questions that are always on my mind and on my heart. Um, So please engage with these questions honestly. Be willing to engage with these personally. These, like I said, these are questions that I ask myself constantly. And if you want to talk about the answers, we can together, I would love that. But please be willing to engage with these questions and know that I'm asking them from a place of deep love and concern for the church. And third, stick with me, okay? The first half, the first half we're going to hit on some hard passages. But the second half is going to be, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to get really fired up and excited. So I already apologize to the camera people. I'm going to do my best to keep my pace slow, but I'm definitely going to be moving because I'm going to get really fired up by the end of this. Um, but before we dive in, let's, let's pray. God, I can't believe that I get to stand here. I don't know why me. But I know who you are, and I'm excited to talk about who you are. And I'm excited to talk about your church. So please let this be a time that just brings glory to your name. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we see church is blank. How do we as a country, where a large number of people, depending on who you ask, a majority of people still check Christian on the census box. How do we as a Christian country fill in that blank? How do we as a county with I don't know how many churches fill in that blank? How do we as a local body, how do we as community Bible church fill in that blank of church is what? How do I, as an individual believer, as someone who has professed that Jesus is Lord, he is my savior, I've surrendered my life to him, how do I fill in that blank? I gotta be honest, man, I haven't always done a great job of filling in that spot. And a lot of times, the American church hasn't done a great job of filling in that spot either. We've put a lot of unnecessary words to describe what church is for us. And I want to start there. I want to look at a couple of things that church is not. And this is stuff that I've encountered in my own life. This is stuff that I've encountered in conversations with people, okay? This is stuff that I've interacted with far too frequently, especially in my own life. But first, church is not a dress code. I'm not going to belabor this point, this is a pretty straightforward point, but my guess is we've all encountered this to some degree in our own lives, whether we've been judged for what we wore, we've judged others for what they wore, some combination thereof. Church isn't a dress code. Um, In James 2, 1 through 4, we hear this, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Who wants to admit to that? Who wants to say, yeah, I've become a judge with evil thoughts? but this is something that I've seen in church. We judge people based on what they wear, how they look, how they present themselves. And I'm not, real quick, we're gonna address the straw man argument to this. I've engaged with people and they said, oh, so you're saying you should be able to show up to church and just, no, calm down. We're all adults, okay? We know what's appropriate to wear in public. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, and I've been told this, oh, you don't wanna go to that church. Their pastor teaches in shorts. Who cares, does he love God? And it can go the other direction. I've been told, oh, you wanna avoid that stuffy church, they wear suits. Who cares, do they love God? Church isn't a dress code, it's plain and simple. First Samuel 16, seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So the first question I've had to ask myself as I assess what do I put in that blank of church is, I have to ask myself, am I looking at people's hearts or am I stopping short at the surface? Do I look at people and make a judgment and a decision based on how I'm going to interact with them depending on what they're wearing or what they're driving or what what they look like? Or do I take the time to get to know the heart? Do I care about their heart? You're going to hear that word a lot. Because at the end of the day, church boils down to our heart for the Lord. So first, church is not a dress code. Second, church is not a building. Church is not a what? If we showed up this morning and the building had burned down overnight and we sat under the trees, would that not be church? Because we weren't in this physical space? What if we met across the road? Would that not be church because we weren't in this physical space? Solomon, when he's building the temple, even acknowledges the folly of thinking that God can be confined by four walls and a ceiling. And look, I'm not saying a nice building is a bad thing, right? Churches do wonderful things with their property. They do wonderful things with their sound stages and their their kids' wing and things like that. They aren't inherently wrong on their own. I have no problem with a nice building. I take issue when we make church about the building and not the people inside. And we see this, Jesus teaches this, and it helps to understand the original language here. In the New Testament, the Greek word for church was ecclesia, And that translates to, not to a building, not to a place, but it translates to an assembly of people, a gathering of people, a group of people. So in the New Testament, when they're writing about the church, when they're writing letters to the church, when Jesus is talking about the church, he's not talking about, oh, send the letter to this address. He's saying, no, send the letter to these people. I'm talking about these people, not a place. And the problem is when we turn church into a place, We make it about us, okay? We do, when we turn church into just a building, we reduce the scope of what this beautiful institution created by God is, because we're trying to confine it to a physical property. So what, when I leave the end of our driveway, I'm no longer part of the church? And we do that because that excuses our behavior throughout the week, right? I've had people say, oh, I would never make that joke at church. Tough news, you are church. So where you ever are, you shouldn't be making that joke. I wouldn't say that at church. I wouldn't do that at church. But in the weekday, it's fine. No. But our language reflects this. Right? We say things like, where do you attend church? Where do you go to church? Imagine if somebody asked me, hey, Sam, remind me. Where is your church? And I said, oh, scattered around Richland County. <laughs> They'd be like, uh, you didn't understand the question. No, you don't understand church. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. He's talking to his disciples about church. And he says, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. That men's cookout yesterday, that was church. And it was awesome. The women's retreat that my wife comes home and tells me how incredible it was, that was church. And I'm like, man, I wish I could have been there. It sounds fantastic. That's church. We are church. We are not limited by these walls. We are not limited by this physical space. And it's folly to think that we are. And guys, I'm guilty of this. I confess I felt guilty of this last week because it's so easy to get caught up in our surroundings. It is so easy to get caught up in our environment that we forget about the God who created church and we focus on ourselves. We were visiting my parents for the holiday and as we're driving to their service, they tell us, hey, the building is undergoing a massive construction project. We pull in, sure enough, it's a massive construction project. So we get out, we're walking up to the doors, I'm in between my dad and my wife, and I'm embarrassed, I'm embarrassed to say this. But I had the audacity to say aloud to my wife and to my father, and I meant it, that's the sad thing. Like, I was, I was serious when I said this. But I had the audacity, walking into a church service to praise God, I had the nerve and the ego to say, man, they better not have messed with the AC. That's messed up. That's an issue with my heart. Is there anything inherently wrong with AC? Not at all, I'm I'm a heat wimp. I am so grateful for AC. But I was approaching a time to worship God and I was more focused on if I thought the temperature was gonna be at an okay level than where my heart was. And mercifully, I mean, mercifully, I'm, I'm so grateful. The Holy Spirit did not let me take another step with that wrong attitude. He convicted me. I mean, we're walking and talking and he just says, Oh, hey, you better, the AC better not be shut off. Just remind me, what are you preaching on next weekend? That was a harsh reminder. I felt about this small. And so I kept walking with them, but I had to disengage from the conversation. I had to go before God and apologize for a heart that was more focused on my personal sense of comfortability than on giving Him the glory that He's due. That, again, there's nothing wrong with a nice building, but my question is. Have we made church more about our surroundings, or more about our hearts? Are we more focused on what our environment is, or who we are on the inside? That's a hard question. We have to ask ourselves, and we have to answer truthfully. So we look at these things, right? And the way my mind works is, I like to go back to the root cause. I start at the top, and I work my way backwards. So I look at, we've made church about the dress code, we've made church about the programs, we've made church about the property. Why? Okay, well, we've made church about us. Why? Why have we made church about us? Why do we think that this is about us? I've read the Bible a couple times, you know, doing those Read Through the Bible programs, and so I've read Malachi several times. But last year, I read Malachi 1, and it was like I read it for the first time. I read Malachi 1 with new eyes last year, and I'm not exaggerating. It shocked me into silence when I read it. I mean, I was floored. I had to close my Bible. I, I, I didn't know what to do in the moment. And that's the passage I want to read with you guys here this morning, okay? And it's a tough passage, but we're going to get through it. And real quick, just in case you're sitting there, before we go into Malachi 1, just in, just in case you're sitting there and you're saying, yeah, I know church isn't a building. I know church is a who, not a what. I've thought that, okay? I've been in the seats when a pastor has said, church isn't a place, it's, it's the people. And I've said, yeah, I know that, I'm good. But here's the problem. We may know it collectively, or individually, we don't know it collectively. Luke, show them this picture. This is a Google image search of church. So when people hear church, this is what pops into their mind. There is not a single picture of people. And guys, I scrolled for a long time trying to find people. It is building after building after building after building. There are two pictures with people inside. There are world-famous cathedrals and it's of tourists taking pictures. There's not a single picture of a gathering of people with the purpose of praising God that pops into our mind as a collective. We've gotta fix that. We have to change that. I want to be able to search for church, and I want to see people. Because I want the world to understand that it is not about the building, it is not about the programs, it is not about, oh, church is from 10.30 to 12 on Sunday, and pastor, you better get us out of there by 12 because I've got a roast in. No, church is about the people. So we individually may know it's not about any of that, but collectively we don't, and it's on us. It's on us to work to fix that that misconceived notion. All right, listen to Malachi 1. This is, I promise, we're getting, we're getting to the exciting stuff, okay? We're going to be smiling soon. But Malachi 1, 6 to 14. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. This is God speaking. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise his name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer, this is where it gets, is where it gets tough. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to you. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, its food may be despised. I, I didn't know what to do when I read that for the first time last year. I didn't know what to make of that. I didn't know how to process. I had to, just, I had to be silent and just weep before God and say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. Because as I think about those questions, as I think about why have we allowed church to become about so much more than just God? I mean, think about this question for, very seriously. Is God alone enough for the American church anymore? Is the American church content with Christ and Christ alone? And when I think about why that is, I come to this horrifying, sobering realization, and this is as true of my life as anyone's life, I come to this thought that I've made church about me because I've bought the lie of our enemy that God is pleased with whatever I deign to toss him. I believe the lie that God is content to take whatever scraps I throw Him because He knows, right? He, he's God. He knows how busy I am. God, I, I know you. I know you deserve my best. I know you command my best. I know I should bring you my best, but life is hard. Life is hard. Life is busy. Work was crazy this week, right? I had family members get sick. I had the car break down. I had so many emergencies. So I know you deserve my best, but here's what you get this week. Good job, Sam. And then I read verse 10, and it punches me in the stomach. I mean, it drives, it physically drives the wind out of my lungs when I read verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the doors to the temple rather than insult me with a half-hearted offering. That's hard. That's not a fun passage to read. That's not a fun passage to contemplate, to sit there and think, okay, is God looking at the offering that I'm content to give? And he's saying, I, I would rather you shut the doors. How many churches in America, this, this breaks my heart, this is what keeps me up at night, how many churches in America is God sitting up there saying, I wish that church would shut its doors rather than insult me with a half-hearted offering. And I'm content to be a part of that because I've made this about me. Right? The word, the word that floored me was where he says, you describe it as wearisome, you describe it as a burden. I've done this, I've been guilty of this, please don't make the same mistakes I have. I've woken up on a Saturday and I thought, oh, so much to do at my own house. I've got this church service project. Maybe I could just call in sick. No, I better show up. It's better go quickly. And I toss a lame animal on the altar and I walk away saying, good job, Sam. Because I want to plead with myself. I say, "Say Sam, no, that verse doesn't apply to you. God's not insulted by you. He's insulted by the people who do Nothing. He's not insulted by you. You make some effort. You could be doing so much less. Yes, but I could be and I should be doing so much more. God deserves my best. Why do I ever satisfy myself with giving him less than that? It's because I don't want to read a passage like that, and I ignore that. Because I buy the lie that God is content with my scraps, and it breaks my heart. I've woken up on mornings, and I'm so grateful. I am so grateful for a wife who loves God more than she wants to protect my ego. I've woken up on mornings when we've been scheduled in the kids' wing, and I've gone, ugh, I do not want to be in the kids' wing. I swear if one kid throws up on me today, I'm going to lose it. I've said this out loud. I'm sorry, it's not funny. That's that's humiliating. But I've woken up on a Sunday morning, and said, oh, I'm in the kids' wing. I better show up. Ugh. And she has called me out, and I love that my wife loves God more than she loves my ego. Because she has called me out. She has said, is that the heart that you're supposed to bring to serving the church? Do you know how humbling that is? But do you know how grateful I am for that reminder? And I don't want you guys to find yourself in the same position that I found myself in. I I don't want you sitting there thinking that God is content with whatever I happen to find in my pockets on the way out the door. No, God deserves our best. And I want to point out two things before we move on. And if you thought I got fired up in that section, wait till you see where we go. Now, now, you're going to get, now we can start laughing and being, being excited. We're getting to some good stuff. But I want to point out two things before we move on. When I talk about bringing your best before God, I'm not talking about pasting on a fake smile, OK? I'm not talking about faking it till you make it. I'm not talking about showing up and being disingenuous because you think that the best is, oh, I'm happy to be here. If you want an example of what the best heart looks like, read through Psalms. Look at how David comes before the Lord. Look at how many times David comes before the Lord just broken, just broken and vulnerable and hurt. And he comes before God and he pours himself out to God. He doesn't try and hide what he's feeling. He doesn't try and hide what he's going through. He brings it to the Lord. But how does David always finish? David always finishes by acknowledging how great God is and how deserving he is of praise. That's what my best looks like. David doesn't ignore his circumstances, but he doesn't allow his circumstances to dictate his view of God. Do we? Do I allow my heart of worship to be dictated by external circumstances? I want to be like David. So if you need a reminder of what your best looks like, read through Psalms, look at the vulnerability and the love of David. And second, I want to point out and remind everyone, god is perfect grace and forgiveness okay i'm not leaving at you know and i throw a lazy offering on the altar and that's it no god forgives me every time i've been convicted that i've done this that i've insulted him with a half-hearted offering every time that i've gone before him in repentance i know he forgives me we have that blessed assurance we have that guaranteed promise that god forgives a repentant heart he always has he always will i'm not leaving it at there's no hope what i'm leaving it at is We can't be content to offer anything less than our best any more. And I'm not going to do it perfectly. I'm under no illusions. And in case you are, I'm going to burst that bubble. You're not going to do it perfectly. But here's the thing. I know I'm not going to do it perfectly, but that doesn't mean I'm setting myself any lesser of a goal. We are called to be holy for the Lord is holy. So I'm going to strive to be holy. Why? Because I love him. I love him more than I love anything. We sang that song about when we get to heaven. I I just want to go to heaven so bad. I just want to be in heaven. I want to be in heaven with Jesus. I'm so excited. I, I can't wait. I love my wife more than anything. I love you all, but I can't wait to be in heaven. And that's why I want to bring my best to God. That's why, because of what he's done for me, because of who he is, because he deserves my best. Listen to these words in 1 Chronicles. This is 1 Chronicles 16, 25 to 30. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of his peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Listen to this verse. Listen to verse 29. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. The glory due his name. So that's a hard question that I've had to ask myself, and I ask myself this repeatedly. What does my approach to church, and I want you guys to ask yourselves this, what does my approach to church reflect about my opinion on the glory due God's name? If someone watched how I talked about church, if someone watched how I interacted with church, if someone watched how I worshiped in church, if I, how I served in the kids' wing, if someone watched Sam in church, what would they think about the glory due God's name? Is that verse true of me? Do I worship God with the glory due his name? That's what I want. I want to be that offering, whatever that means. But we've made church about us. We've made church about the music I like and the seats I like and the coloring I like and the cafe I like, right? Are we more concerned with being a church that makes us feel good? Or are we more concerned with being a church that glorifies God? This is the question that I ask myself daily.
1: Am I an offering
0: that is pleasing to the Lord? As an elder, this is what I think about when we get to our elder meetings. As a Sunday school teacher, this is the thought that drives my classes. This is the thought that drives this sermon. I'll be honest, I wasn't thinking about a single one of you when I prepared this. I was thinking about God. Because I'm far more concerned with what God thinks of this sermon than what you think of this sermon. That's the truth of it. That's my prayer. That has been my plea. My burden is that God, teach me how to be an offering that is pleasing to you. Whatever that means for my own sense of comfort. Whatever that means for my own preconceived notions. Teach me how to be an offering that is pleasing to you. That's who I want to be. That's who I want us to be. I want us to be a church that God looks at and He says, That's an offering that's pleasing to me. Let's be honest, right? Sometimes it's a little easier to get more excited about the glitz and the glam, right? I've had the opportunity to, work in, to worship in you know these multi-million-million-dollar mega churches where the band on stage has won multiple awards and sells CDs, and you're in the reclining theater seats. And I've been in churches that are in borrowed school gyms on like metal folding chairs, and we don't even have an instrument among us, right? And sometimes, doesn't it seem easier to get more excited about the first one? Doesn't it? But maybe, maybe that's because we don't realize how glorious it is to be the church. Right? Maybe we've settled for going to church because we don't realize how incredible it is to be the church. And that's what I want to talk about now. And this is where I get excited Because the first thing that we see about the church is that we are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Look at these verses. Matthew 9.15, Jesus describes himself as the bridegroom. Write these verses down. Write Malachi down. Write these verses down. Study them this week. Learn what it is to be the church. Matthew 9.15, Christ is the bridegroom. 2 Corinthians 11.2, Paul writes that the church is promised to one husband, Christ. And then in Revelation 19.7, Listen to this, listen to Revelation 19:7. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. The marriage of the Lamb, Christ is the Lamb, the marriage of the Lamb has come, and her bride has made herself ready. Not only are we Christ's bride, we are Christ's bride on our wedding day. That makes me excited. I'm, I'm really trying not to jump because I know we've got camera angles and stuff, but that makes me excited. Think about your wedding day, grooms. Think think about how your bride looked on her wedding day. Brides, think about your wedding day. Think about the approach you took to your wedding day. How would you describe your bride on your wedding day? I, I hope this is true for all of you, but I would describe Adeline on our wedding day as radiant. Right? Any time I want, I can close my eyes and I can picture. I can picture the look on her face as she walked down the aisle. I can picture the look on her face as we exchanged our vows. She was radiant. I mean, she was, she was. I don't know if it's medically possible, but she was physically glowing. It it was beautiful. Our wedding day is one of the most fun, if not the most fun days of my life. I was celebrating unity with the person I love most, surrounded by my closest friends and family, and we rejoiced accordingly. We celebrated like no other day in my life because it was our wedding day and it was wonderful. That's who we are. We are the bride of Christ on our wedding day. Is that reason to celebrate? Yeah, maybe, I think so. I mean, when I stopped thinking about church in terms of, oh, time to go to church, and I started thinking about church as, whoa, I'm the bride of Christ on our wedding day? I'm the Bride of Christ with my closest friends and family, with the people I love most in this world? What in the world is going to keep me from being excited about church? Oh, the weather's junky. Who cares? I'm the Bride of Christ on our wedding day. Oh, the timing is inconvenient. Who cares? I would have married her at 1 in the morning, and I, I like my sleep. But I would have married her at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning. I don't care about the time. I don't care about the time commitment. Our wedding could have lasted 3 weeks, and I would have been fine with it. Do we approach church with that same level of excitement? Because we should. If we're the bride of Christ on our wedding day, what kind of bride are we going to be? I mean, is our wedding day something that we're gonna look at and say, this is the most glorious day of my life and I'm gonna celebrate accordingly? Or are we gonna describe, how many of you described your wedding day as, I've got nothing else to do today. Hey, I'm gonna be like 30 minutes late, but I think I'll get there. I just wanted to stop at drive through. No! You're excited for your wedding day. You plan for your wedding day. You prepare for your wedding day. It is an important day to you. Guys, that's every day for us. I mean, you wake up and you're the bride of Christ on on your wedding day. That's a pretty good reason to approach church with joy. That's a pretty good reason to say, yeah, you know what? You can keep the superficial. We've got God. Right? And just in case, just in case that doesn't get you excited, and truthfully, if it doesn't, ask your neighbor to check your pulse. I'm not trying to insult anybody. But I mean, if you're not excited to be the bride of Christ on your wedding day, like, we should call somebody. But just in case that doesn't get you excited, listen to how else the church is described. Listen to Ephesians 3, chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. His intent, being him being God, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you hear that? I know you heard that. Did you catch that? God's eternal purpose, his intent, is that through the church, his manifold wisdom will be made known to heavenly authorities. What? We had to be a part of that? Are you kidding me? That's awesome! I mean, the image I have in that of making his wisdom known to the heavenly authorities, I have this picture of the heavenly authorities saying, wait a minute, God, Jesus, Jesus is coming back? He's not staying on the earth? He's not, he's not physically staying down there? How are people going to know about you? How are people going to hear about salvation? How are people going to hear about heaven? Why? The heavenly authorities are going, God, why would, why would Jesus leave? And God pulls the curtain off and he says, look, it's the church. Who doesn't want to be a part of that who doesn't want to be a part of something far bigger than themselves who isn't looking for purpose and meaning in this life Guys, we have the opportunity to be a part of god's eternal plan to make his wisdom known to the world and we make it about us are you kidding me i mean what kind of ego do i need to have to read that verse and think well i'm going to leave that church because they don't sing the songs i like how can you read that verse and not just fall on your knees in humility and say, God, thank you for the privilege to be the church. Thank you for this glorious opportunity to be the church. I don't need to go to church. I am the church. And I don't mean that as stop showing up on Sunday mornings, right? I mean, understand what we're doing when we show up. Hebrews says, don't give up gathering together. Why? Because that is the church, right? But I'm not interested in keeping things here. Uh-uh. We're going, we're going deep because that's who we are. We are the vehicle that God intends to make his wisdom known to the world, and we don't want to be a part of it because our schedules are too busy? What, what's wrong with us? David Livingston once said, if we consider a commission from an earthly king to be an honor, why do we consider a commission from the heavenly king to be a burden? That's really unfortunately true. right? Like If I was made ambassador to a foreign country, I'd be telling strangers at Kroger's, I'd like hit them with my car and be like, Oh, hey, you can move, because I'm an ambassador to England. What's up? I'm an ambassador for Christ, and I don't tell my coworkers about it, because I might be labeled as weird. I'm an ambassador for Christ, I've had a commission from God to be the vehicle by which he makes his wisdom known, and I don't tell my neighbors about it, because what if he stops lending me his tools? I don't tell my family about it, because it might make Thanksgiving awkward. You know it's going to be a lot worse? than an awkward Thanksgiving, eternity without your brother, sister, aunt, uncle, dad, mom. That's going to far more be worse than an awkward Thanksgiving because you brought up God. We are commissioned by the heavenly king to make his wisdom known and we make it about us and it breaks my heart. Right? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing with all of this. When people say, and people have told me, I've had conversations with people, I just don't like church. I don't think it's for me. I don't see the point of church. What I wonder, and depending on the person, I've suggested this to a couple people, no, you mean you don't like what we've turned church into, and I get that. Because when I look at original church, when I look at church as how God ordained it and created it and sustains it and designed it, when I look at being the bride of Christ on our wedding day, when I look at being the vehicle by which God intends to make his wisdom known, I think, who doesn't want to be a part of that? want to be a part of the I mean seriously raise your hand if you don't want to be a part of the most glorious celebration the world has ever known that's a surprise raise your hand if you don't want to be a part of something bigger than yourselves raise your hand if you want to wake up and say I have no purpose no we don't want any of that we want purpose we want point we want to point to all of this we want direction and meaning in our lives kind of like being the vehicle by which God intends to make his wisdom known to the world? That's a pretty awe-inspiring purpose. We're tired, we're burdened, we're sick, we're so weary of being beat down by this world. We want joy, we want peace, we want a reason to laugh and to smile, like being the bride of Christ on our wedding day? Pretty good reason to smile. We want to be cared about. We want to, we want to know that people love us and they, they accept us. And this is why it breaks my heart when I see the church so far from what God meant it for it to be. Because people in this world around us are looking for a place to belong. They're looking for a body. They're looking for someone, anyone who will love them for who they are. Who will accept them regardless of their baggage. And they should find it in the church and they don't because we've made it about us. And shame on us. Shame on me anytime I show up expecting the church to meet what I want it to meet. I mean, shame on me if I walk through the door saying, man, Matt better have picked out the songs I like this week. Oh, we didn't? All right, I'm going to disengage. Check my phone. What? How dare I? How dare I look at a time meant for worshiping God and think, yeah, I'm not feeling it. We're called to be the church, and it is so glorious and beautiful. It is so unbelievably describable. I mean, read through Acts. Read through the book of Acts. Look at how that original church is described. Look at how they love one another, and tell me you don't want that in your life. Tell me you don't want people in your life who would do anything for you, who would fight for you, protect you, who would care for you in your time of need, who would be there in your time of grief. Tell me you don't want people like that in your life. Honestly, I'll call you a liar, because we all want that. And that's what's available to us in the church. But we don't understand that because we've reduced church. I've reduced you all to this. I've reduced you all to an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. And so I miss out on what the church is meant to be. And because I've reduced it to this, I make it about me. And I toss that offering on the altar. And that devastates me. I want to leave you guys one last description of the church, and this one's awesome. I mean, this this one's cool. Jesus is talking to Peter and the disciples in Matthew 16. And listen to how Jesus describes the church. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Luke, could you put up the picture of that army going into battle, carrying their gates with them? Oh, I didn't give it to you because it doesn't exist. Gates are a defensive weapon. Gates are not taken with you when you're on the attack. Jesus promises Peter that he will build his church on him and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Guess what? That's us. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. We are victorious. We are the church. And we will knock down the gates of hell when we stop making it about us. And I can't wait. Oh, man, I can't. (sighs) I can't wait. I can't wait to see churches across this country come alive. I can't wait to see Christians and churches come alive and be burdened with being an offering that is pleasing to God above all sense of self. And I believe that when we see that, you will see the gates of hell shatter. Because the church cannot be stopped when we are living as Christ intended us to be. We will celebrate being the church. This isn't a maybe statement. We will, okay, agree with me. If I could get every church in America to agree with this statement, I would. We're going to start here, and then we're going to go change the world. We will be excited to be the church. We will celebrate being the church because we are Christ's bride on our wedding day. Okay? We will be fearless in how we engage with our community. We will go aggressively after the lost. We will be proud of the commission we have been given because we are the means that God intends to make his wisdom known. We will be the church. We will be on the attack. And scripture says the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And that, man, that gets me fired up. All right? Let's pray. God, God, destroy our ego. I mean, just crush it get rid of it. Get rid of any notion of us that wants to make church about us. Teach us how to crave you. Teach us how to crave authentic worship. Teach us how to crave being a church entirely devoted to you. Teach us to wake up, Lord. Teach me to wake up and daily, minute by minute, ask myself, am I an offering pleasing to the Lord? And when I fall short, Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness. Give me a repentant heart. And when I fall short, Lord, teach me how to pursue that depth. I mean, Guide me in the spirit. I surrender to you. Let me be the church that I'm called to be. Let us be the church that we're called to be. And when we are God, we give the glory to you. We give all the praise to you, and we can't wait to see what you do with us. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.